This is the podcast for Centerpoint Church located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. My name's Jason, and we're on this series called You're Not Good Enough. How's that for motivation? But the reality is, is that we aren't, as human beings, good enough. And that's not what God wants for us. We're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks at the book of Galatians. I'm excited for us to dive deep in the scripture. Let's jump in. I'm so thankful that you're here today. It's been a great day already. And uh, I know that some of you drove a long way to be here. There's some of you in this room that drove over an hour to be here today. There's some of you that drove 30-something minutes, probably past 100 churches on your way here. And there's some of you that live right around the street, right around the corner. And and I saw you come in late. So what's your excuse? But you're here, and I'm thankful. And I got to believe that the reason you're here is because you feel the presence of God in this place. If it's your first time here, my name is Jason, and I want to welcome you here. Don't make it be your last time. I pray that you feel at home here, but more importantly, I I pray that you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. We're continuing this series in which we're going to wrap up next week called You're Not Good Enough. And we're making a journey through the book of Revelation, sorry, the book of Galatians. I've done Revelation before, my goodness. I had to study a lot more. Sorry. Some of you are like, wait, what? We'll be covering Revelation a few times in October. We're doing a series called What's Under Your Bed? And we're going to be talking about some scary things. But, but that's in a couple of weeks. But we're going to be in Galatians, and I want to catch you up to speed as to where we are now. For those of you that weren't here, or if it's your first time, or if you just fell behind, or if you have terrible memory, let me catch you up to speed. For those of you that grew up in the era I did, this is the Cliff Note version. Before Google, we had Cliff Notes to get us through high school, or at least me. And and I'll catch you up to speed. So the book of Galatians is written by Paul to the church of Galatia, and he established Established this church and then he went back to Jerusalem and when he was gone some false teachers came in they're called the Judaizers which are Christian Jews and they started telling everybody that you needed Jesus for salvation plus all of these other things and the purpose of Paul writing this is one to correct the teaching that's wrong so he takes chapters one and two and he gives a personal letter to them he takes chapters three and four and it's doctrinal and we're going to be in Galatians for today. And it really coincides with the book of Romans. It's just shorter. And then the last two chapters, five and six, we covered last week when he's talking about the application portion. How how do you apply it to your life? And so today we're going to be spending time in Galatians. and, And I want you to hear this. The enemy wants people who follow Christ to believe that faith in Jesus alone is not sufficient for salvation. The enemy wants to do that. Why? Because he wants you to think that your salvation is dependent upon your performance right now. And we talked about that last week, the difference between conviction and guilt. Conviction from God, guilt from the enemy, and what the difference is. God uses conviction to bring you to repentance, to bring you back closer to him. So have you asked for forgiveness for the sin that's in your life? Have you turned from it? Then if you're still holding on to those feelings, that's guilt, that's from the enemy, and it's saying the blood of Jesus was not sufficient to cover your sins. 
And so the enemy wants to keep you in this perpetual state, this hamster wheel of guilt, because it makes you an ineffective, useless tool for the kingdom of heaven. Do any of you have a fetish for kitchen utensils and you buy all these weird utensils that you'll never use and you have a drawer to bed, bath, and beyond of hundreds? <laughs> My wife just pointed to Rachel. She's like, mm -hmm. That's what you become for the kingdom of heaven. You're like a spiritual rocking chair, man. You have plenty to do, but you get nowhere if you stay in this, this circle of guilt. And that's where the enemy wants you. He can't keep you out of heaven, but he can keep you ineffective here on earth. And so what I want to talk about today is the difference between the law, which means the, the rules and the regulations of the church, versus grace. And children of grace means that we have to have active faith in Jesus. But faith can be uncomfortable. See, faith is not a pursuit of perfection, which is what the law was. Faith is a belief in God, a belief that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what, he's going to, what he said he was going to do. Therefore, you are who he says you are. And, and, and faith is risky. Faith, it takes time. One of my wife's love languages is quality time, and I hate it because it takes so much time. <laughs> but faith is a requirement to receive the blessings of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you trust God with 99.9% .9 of your life, you don't trust God. That's like saying I told 99.9% .9 of the truth. Well, if it's not 100% of the truth, it's a lie. And that's how it works with faith. But faith yields the blessings. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be talking about what Paul wrote in chapter 4 about us being children of faith. And he goes all the way back to Genesis. But here's what I want you to lean into during our time today. I want you to lean into this idea that if you want the blessings of God, you're going to have to trust the process to get there. But you and I don't want the process. We want fast food. We don't want the crock pot. I'm hungry right now. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. Taco Bell drive-thru. But, but what, what, what meals do you remember, man? You remember Thanksgiving because that meal takes some time. If you have your Thanksgiving dinner through a drive-thru, you're doing it wrong. What about your Christmas meal? Takes some time. The secret ingredient in that recipe is some love. And love takes time. My message today, the subtitle is A Shortcut to a Blessing. A Shortcut to a Blessing. Because we want the blessings of God, but we want them as quick as possible with the least amount of pain, the least amount of risk. I want to know ahead of time that everything is lined up perfect so that I know I can do it. And, and, and that's how we want it on my timeline, when I want it, the type of blessing that I want. And that's what we want. We want the shortcut to the blessing. And that's how we work. Have you ever tried to run your life the way you think you should? <laughs> How'd that work out for you? You're here, so obviously not too well. The shortcut to the blessing. Are any of you men shortcut guys? Like, I'm going to go look where we're going, but I know the faster route. Don't listen to GPS. I'm saying men because the women, women are smart enough to not fall for that. But the men, like, you're like, no, no, I know. We're going to go this route. What's the percentage 
of, of times that your shortcut actually worked out exactly the way you thought it would and it was perfect. <laughs> Not good. Right, Jeremy? I can tell. Let me tell you a story. Oh, by the way, I can prove to you that you want the shortcut in as fast as possible. And the way I can prove it to you is this. How do you act when the Wi-Fi is slow wherever you are? <laughs> Bro, some denominations would think I'd lose my salvation every time the Wi-Fi is slow, man. Like, I need an altar call right here in this office. And the good thing I work at a church, right? If the Wi-Fi, man, listen, I... I remember my senior year in high school, we got internet in my house for the first time. Yes, I'm that old. And you remember how slow that was? Called AOL dial-up? Some of y'all can't even spell AOL. And the dial-up was so slow, and it made this sound like a demon was being tortured. So some of you were making that noise. Go ahead. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord knows what I want. He's my provider. Give me some fast Wi-Fi. If that page doesn't load in about two seconds after I, I click on it, like, I'm mad. Like, bro, I want to tell you about a shortcut that a guy tried to take and it completely backfired in U.S. history. It's this group called the Donner Party. The Donner Party left Missouri in May of 1846, I think. Yes, good. 1846, and they're headed to California. You ever heard of the phrase, go west, young man? <laughs> now the phrase is, get as far away from the west side of the United States as possible. Then move to Nashville and drive our house prices up. Pay cash, no inspection, everything waived. <laughs> and now you got to move to Greenbrier. <laughs> That's not even in my notes. Shocking. They head to California, and while they're, they're, they're planning the trip to go, because everybody needs to go over there, they're just a few years away from the gold rush, and, 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 but California is like the land of prosperity, and so they decide that they're going to leave, and they're going to go the path, this Donner family, multiple families, and, and, and they're going to go the path that everyone else goes, and then this dude right over here named Lansford Hastings, he writes a pamphlet. He, he, he writes a book, which is really just a pamphlet, and he has political aspirations. In fact, they were talking about him potentially being the next Secretary of State. And so he writes this, this map and he says, I found a shortcut to California. It's going to shave 300 miles off of your trip. And no doubt at this point, the women of the Donner family were like, ah, this is not a good idea. I feel it in my gut. We should just go the safe route. And then I can, I can hear the men of the Donner party this is going to save 300 miles. Look at Lansford Hastings. He looks like a, like a guy that you could trust, right? Here's the thing. They didn't do the research, and so Lansford, in theory, picked out a journey that did indeed shave 300 miles off of the journey, but he had never actually done it himself to prove if it was true. On paper, it was true. What they didn't anticipate is since no one had ever done this trip before, the roads didn't have the grooves in it for their wagons, and so they had to spend half of a day chopping a tree down just to move it out of the way so they could get the wagon through. And that delayed, and that delayed, and that delayed. Then they hit an 80-mile stretch of desert. Delayed, delayed, delayed. 
Lansford Hastings was supposed to be with them and he was nowhere to be found because they were delayed. And now all of a sudden, they're in the middle of, of the, the Sierra Nevada mountains in the winter in a snowstorm. 90 people leave Missouri to go west. 48 make it. And the 48 that made it during that snowstorm, they faced a challenge. The challenge was, do we slaughter our animals who are the only ones that can carry these wagons? Or do we revert to cannibalism of our deceased friends? And that's why you know of the Donner Party. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Have a great rest of the week. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What does that have to do with you and I? Now, I'm not saying that your bad decisions are going to lead to cannibalism. But what I am going to say is this. Is we either believe God is in control or we believe that he is not. And we either believe that God knows how to get where he needs us to get or we don't. And scripture is filled with people who tried to take a shortcut to the blessings of God. If you're in this room and you're single now or you're divorced, what happened, what can happen is I'm praying for a godly spouse. I believe that God's going to bring me a man or woman of God. But in the meantime, I'm going to force it. And he may not be Mr. Right, but he's Mr. Right now. How'd that work out for you? I'm going to ask God what I should do. And if he doesn't respond with the answer that I want, on the timeline that I say, then I'm going to make it happen myself. And this is what Paul is talking about. And he's going to go back even further than the Donner Party. He's going to go to Genesis chapter 15 and talk about Abraham. And when Abraham, who he's like elevated as the man that God gave the promise to, he tried the shortcut to the blessing of God because his situation did not seem as if God was really working in it. It seemed as if God was absent. It seemed as if God forgot or doesn't care anymore. Or maybe he knows better than God. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. We're going to stay in 4, we're going to go back to Genesis, and then we're going to come back to 4. So if you have a Bible, like hold that spot. If your Bible glows, get ready. If you don't have that, like we'll have it up on the screen. This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. How many sons? There's going to be a quiz on that. Write it down. One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was a result of a divine promise. Now, let's unpack this for just a moment because what he's going to say is that one family represents man trying to take matter into his own hands and the other one reflects and represents the promise of God that, he, that came true. Because right now, the church of Galatia kind of likes the sound of the law. Now, for some of you that grew up in like the strict church like that you have, that, that caused you wounds or that you have animosity or resentment towards, you're like, why would we like the law? And we're going to talk about that towards the end of 
parts of the law are attractive. But if you understand it, you don't want anything to do with the law. By law, I mean pre-Jesus, what had to happen for believers pre-Jesus. Listen to what James writes. This is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because he's the biological son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus is not the biological son of Mary and Joseph, so we say half-brother. Okay, James is the guy that you don't want to ask, does this shirt make me look fat? Because I'll tell you the truth. In fact, here's an interesting side note, is that some people say that James wrote his letter as the counterpart for Galatians because he thought that Paul talked way too much about grace and not enough about works. So then James overcorrected it. And then Paul writes Ephesians and he's like, yeah, James is right, but don't forget this, you know? And so like, they're kind of in this battle. Anyways, James 2.10, listen to what he says. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. He's saying... You don't want to go to the law. Trust me, parts of it might be attractive. It might be comfortable. It might be what you think you want, but you don't want it. And so he's telling us the story of Abraham and his child of promise versus the child of the flesh, which means man initiated it. So we got to go all the way back to Genesis 15, and we're going to just hover there for just a moment so that we can have some context. See, what I love doing is I love the Word of God, and I love when I can see how God is weaving this entire story from Genesis to Revelations, and how there's echoes all throughout Scripture, and that the Old Testament is there as types and shadows to show that Jesus not only fulfilled, but exceeded the law. And we'll see this. That's why I love that Paul, even all the way over here in Galatia, is still pointing all the way back because the Judaizers were like Moses, Moses, Moses. It's a Marsha, 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 but it's Moses, Moses, Moses. Thank you. That joke went over pretty good. Okay. There's plenty more where that came from. But the reason they're talking about Moses is because Moses represents the Mosaic law. And so that's why the Judaizers are elevating Moses. And Paul's like, no, 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 before that, Abraham. Abraham is the promise. And two weeks ago, we talked about the perks of being adopted. That's why Paul said, you are adopted into the promises of Abraham. So everything God said to him, God now gives to you. And you either believe it or you don't. So listen to verse 15. Now, now, now here we are, chap, uh, verse 2, chapter 15. But Abram, oh yeah, sorry, side note. <laughs> I got two, two words into it. Uh, you're going to see Abram and Sarai and that's the same as Abraham and Sarah. Somewhere in between, their name shift's going to happen. That's a whole other side sermon, but I don't want to confuse you with that. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you have, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will have to be the heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir but a son who is your flesh and blood will be your heir. Now, what's interesting about that is at the time, Abram is 75 years old. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but they lived a lot longer back then. A, a body that is 75 is still going to look like a body that is 75. Gerald? <laughs> How old are you? Why'd you laugh after you said that? And God's like, no, no, 75? Yep, this is what I'm promising you. Verse four. You will have your own son. It 
will be your own flesh and blood, and he will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, what does it have to do with you and I? I don't think at 75, God is going to tell you that you're going to have a child. Maybe. But the point is, is that God's promises in the Bible will come true. He is who he says he is. But now, 10 years have gone by. Still no child. And now, Abram is 85, 86 years old. Gerald. How do you think you're going to feel 10 years from now? Congratulations, Martha. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And then what's funny is the next four words, Abram agreed to what? So I said, the next six words, like it didn't even take a sentence. Like she's like, Hey, I need you to go sleep with my slave. And he's like, okay, if I have to, like that may have been a test to be like, no, honey, I love you. You know what I mean? You know, when your women, they ask you to do something and it's really a test. Like, I don't know, but, but I see Sarai feeling guilt and shame because she hasn't been able to do what God told her she would do on the timeline that he said she still, or that she thought she still hasn't done that. So she does what Abram does and what you and I do. She said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to create a counterfeit of the promise of God. Verse three, so after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. But see, the problem is, is that wasn't the way that God said it was going to happen. He tried the shortcut to the blessing. Now here we are 25 years after the original promise. And for those of you that were in remedial math, that puts him at about 100 years old. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. He was gracious to Sarah as he said, and he did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the very time God had promised him. At the what? In the fullness of time. Abram gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah born him. So now this is an everlasting covenant. And this has ramifications even now. If you know anything about Middle Eastern history and, and, and even current events, they are still dealing with the ramifications in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine and some surrounding countries and other religions based upon who was the promised heir. But it wasn't born of flesh. That was how man tried to create the will of God. God creates the will of God. So now we can bump back into Galatians 4. A lot of scripture. But I won't apologize for that. These things are to be taken figuratively. Did you hear that? They happened. But they happened to show us something. The women represent two covenants. 
One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Now you, brothers and sisters, are like Isaac, children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, persecuted by the son born by the power of the spirit, talking about Jesus, it is the same now. What does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. What he is saying is this. You and I are children of promise. We are children of a promise of God. When he said in the fullness of time, he'd bring his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die for your sins, and then to resurrect from the grave. And now you and I, because of that, we're children of promise. And so Paul, throughout all of Galatians, is trying to say, if you have this freedom, why would you ever desire to go back to that? You have this freedom, so live like it. But sometimes, the law can be attractive. Now you're like, how's the law attractive? Lean into this. The law, meaning religious regulations and rules. You know, some of those that people in your life told you, this is what you do in church? It's like, well, where, where is that located in scripture? <laughs> This is where we do the classic first opinions 413, yeah? And, 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 but, but, but sometimes that is attractive if you don't really understand the law. And here's why that's attractive. Because if the law is rules and regulations, then I know ahead of time what I have to do. I got to do this, this, this. This needs to be my church attendance. This needs to be what I do. And, and, and it's kind of comfortable because you know what everything is laid out in front of you. And then you can determine if you're equipped to be able to accomplish those things or not. That's what you want. That's what I want sometimes. It'd be super nice if God could write like a 2022 edition of the New Testament. Now I know that's heresy, but just stick with me for a moment. And maybe you could give it to us to a gold you know, tablet that's buried underground. Sorry, no. Uh, but, but if he could give us <laughs> a, a new one so that he could tell me like what movies to watch and what's okay and what's not and, and what exactly my church attendance percentage needs to be for him to be pleased with me. Like it would be really nice to be able to fall into that. And, and the other thing is the reason I think that the law is attractive because it helps us stack ourselves up against other people and we can justify our spiritual complacency. Do you feel attacked right now? <laughs> I do. I was studying this. I was like, bro, leave me alone, man. Like, let me just stay over here in my comfort zone. Like, you ever heard of social distancing, God? Like, just stay away a little bit, okay? Like, don't, don't convict me right now. But, but sometimes we can stack ourselves up against other people and we're like, man, because of the law, there's this invisible scale and I'm not as bad as him, so I'm still okay. This is the whole point of the whole thing. Lean in. The law does not yield blessing. Do you want the blessing of God? That's going to take faith. Amen. That's going to take risk. You want the blessings of God? Then you got to live in faith. And faith is tough, man. The law, 
tells me, man, I only have to give 10% of my income. Let's be honest for a moment. Some of you have been walking with God for a long time and you've never even achieved that. Ah, feel attacked? Good. We're not passing the offering plates again. Just chill out. But, but the loss is 10%, right? But people of faith and what God asks now is not the minimum 10%. He's asking us to be generous over the top. In fact, in Acts, it says they sold all of their possessions and gave to the needy and the poor. The new covenant represents even greater. Faith is risky because you may have to do some things that you don't want to do. You may have to invest in people that will never return the favor to you. God may ask you to go do something that's difficult. But can I tell you, nothing that yields massive blessings for God was done the easy way. It was done God's way. You want to be blessed by God? Don't settle for the shortcut to the blessings. Lean in to the journey. My daughter just got back from a birthday party last night. All right? And... I was out late last night, but this morning I, was, I asked my wife, how, how was the party? And I didn't necessarily care about like what they had, if there was cake, if there was you know, good gifts, or did they have a good time. I, as a father, I'm more concerned about, does my daughter feel valued when she got home? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes girls can be a little catty. All right, not you women, all right? But, you know, maybe some of the women at the Pentecostal church down the street. But, but sometimes when you get a group of girls together, whether they're in third, fourth grade or in bloom, you know, our, our group of women here, like sometimes you can like, like pick on each other and not treat each other great and, and use your words to hurt people. And, and, and my daughter's been at parties before where she left feeling less than. And, 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 and she left feeling like I'm not as important as my dad says I am. And so when I ask her, how did she like that party? Like, she says, oh, she had one of the best nights of her life. I'm like, oh, thank God. Oh, because I, I want my daughter to know who she is. And sometimes other people can tell her who she's not or what she doesn't have. And when I hear that as a dad, I'm like, no, no, no. I want to be the one that tells you who you are. And so we parent different. Now, we're not perfect, but we parent different because my kids are not children of the law. They both have given their life to the Lord and they've been baptized. They're not children of the law. So I'm not going to raise them and punish them as if they're children of the law. The law is an impossible set of standards with the punishments of what happens if you break those laws. And sometimes we parent our kids that way. These are the rules of my house and these are the punishments if you do that. Now, I'm not suggesting you have a house without laws. Don't let them get tattoos at age 12 and hang out at the Waffle House all night. Like, I'm not saying we don't have laws, but the law was designed to show them why they need Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, they were playing with some of the neighborhood kids who we've been witnessing to since I moved here. And my two daughters do what sisters do. They start fighting in the front yard. 
epic fight, man. Super dramatic. And why are you always? I don't understand why. I don't like you. I don't know where they get the dramatic side from. It ain't me. But that happened right there in my front yard for the whole neighborhood to see. We pulled them inside. And there was a punishment. But it was with a conversation. And this is what my wife said to them in all of her brilliance. She said, those neighbors across the street don't know who Jesus is. You're the only Jesus they're ever going to see till we get them to church. And because you are Christians, we have to act different especially in front of those who don't know who Jesus is. Do you see the theology there? Because of who you are, then you act different. Why? To attract the world to Jesus. Do you see the difference between that? So, so much of scripture is God telling us who we are. So then our actions are different. Our thoughts are different. It's really a book. The book of Galatians is really about identity, who you are. The world is still trying to struggle to find out who they are. The last thing about my kids, I told this story a couple years ago, and it's good to bring up again, is we have a family motto. I want my children to know who we are. Do you have a family motto? If you don't, don't feel bad. But now you know. You're like, well, I got grandkids. Okay, do they know what your family motto is? So we came up with who we are. Because I don't want my kids to be like, hey, we don't, do, we don't do this, 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 or this. That's who we are. Our life is so fun. No, I want them to know who they are because that's what God does in his word. And so you can go ask my kids today. They'll be the ones down the hallway screaming and yelling, maybe fighting. And you, you can go ask them, what's your family motto? Because we came up with it with a while ago. And our family motto is we are the boss. We are kind to everyone. We love Jesus. And we look for lonely people. That's who we are. So when I drop them off at school, I take them on Wednesdays and Fridays. I always tell them, what's our family motto? We're the boss, we're kind to everyone. We love Jesus and we look for lonely people. And then they added a few things. They added, and we love them no matter what, and we love Chick-fil-A. I don't, that's, that's not what's engraved on the sign, but that's what they went with. But here's the thing. I wanted to remind them. I want you to do good on your test. I want you to behave for for your teacher. I want you to, to be there and be a good kid. But that's not the primary reason you're there. The primary reason you're there is to look for lonely people that feel less than, that don't know what Jesus paid for them, and to tell them and to show them that they are loved and that there is hope. You're going to work in the morning. I hope you get paid. I hope you get paid a lot. That's not why you're there. So my challenge to you this week is if you don't have a family motto, make one and declare it. Have your children or grandchildren be a part of that process. This is who we are. Because that's what God says. I want to leave you with this final scripture. This is Peter. 1 Peter 2.9. Now this is post-Pentecost, Peter. Peter, a, a, a mature in the faith, Peter. This is Peter who has been through some trials, has been through some letdowns, and now he's sitting there saying, this is who I was all along. 
And God gave him this, and I want you to hear it today. This is who you are. You are not a sum of your sins. You are not all of the different things of your past or your present. If you've surrendered your life to the Lord, this is who you are. Listen to who your father says you are, not who the world says you are. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Someone needs to hear this today. You are God's special possession. Why? The second half of the verse. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Because now you are children of the free, of grace, let's start living like it. Let's start acting like it. Let's start declaring it so that we can draw all others to the same freedom that you and I get to experience. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you've watched the news. I don't know if you, maybe you have the ostrich syndrome and you just stick your head in the sand. But this world is coming to an end and I believe it's coming to an end rapidly. If that's the case, we got work to do. We've got work to do. Would you stand with me, church? Some of you are in a battle right now. Some of you are facing some uh, battles with your thoughts, with your finances, in your marriage. You're facing a battle right now. And if you are children of the Most High King, then we have to believe that this battle is not actually ours. We have to believe that it belongs to the Lord. But just like Abraham, don't give up praying. 25 years he waited. How long have you been praying for that child that's living the wayward lifestyle right now? How long? Two weeks? Four weeks? Five weeks? Either you trust that it's on God's timeline and that he's going to take care of it and that he's going to fight the battles for us, that he's going to go before us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. Either we believe that or we don't. And so your situation that you're in right now, I declare victory over it in the name of Jesus Christ. Not because you're strong, but because he is. Not because you're holding him up or letting him down. Because he is Yahweh and he is Elohim. And you are who he says you are. And he says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special possession. Do you feel it? Raise your hand if that's you and you say, I am a child of God. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. He is for me. He is not against me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Do you believe it? Let me pray. And let's sing this chorus one more time together. Dear Lord, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray for the situation they're going through. I pray for the struggles that they're facing. I pray against any words of the enemy that is going into their minds, God. The enemy has no place in their head because they are your temple, God. It is a trespass against them. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for the people who may have very little faith right now. They feel less than, but they're still here today. They're still here. I pray for their situation, God, and we put it into your more than capable hands. Lord, I love you. I praise you. 
and I would do anything for you. And all God's people said, amen. Can we lift up a shout?